Hello, welcome to the A Mall Life podcast, our first ever, or, uh, you know, first after the practice run ever. <laughs> and uh, we are very excited to be here with you. We're, uh, we're a couple of mall guys, uh, grew up in the industry or have been a part of the industry for a number of years. Um, and we just love, we love the mall business and all that it entails. And so we're excited to get together, talk shop, talk about some of the history and talk about uh, things that we find absolutely just hilarious about the industry. Uh, for starters, I, I'm Dave. I've uh, been in the industry for uh, nearly 20 years, and I'm still currently in the industry, so my stories have to be real, and I have to exclude some people. So all very good things. But uh, one of the great things about this industry is, uh, is the size and capacity of this industry. So the reason I love it, I mean, it's $1.4 trillion happens, and, you know, only 20% of it's online. So 80% of that is really done. Actually, it's probably 84% of it is really done in stores, on properties, in the lives of everyone. And every one of those things has a great touch point and a great story. Um, but I'm Dave. Been here for about 20 years. Hopefully be here for 20 years more. But uh, let me introduce my co-host uh, and take it away. Hey, yeah, my name's Don. I've been in the industry for uh, 40 plus years and uh, started uh, in my late teens. And we'll get into some of the starting stories of how this happens. But uh, this this podcast was Dave's idea. So if you like it, uh, please let me know. If you don't like it, please let Dave know that it was a bad idea. And uh, he did point out a good good point. I am retired now, so my stories no longer need any truth in them. Uh, or I get to bend the truth as I as I uh, remember it. But I will tell you that I think for the most part, when you see those movies that say based on actuals or a true story, the, the stories will be based on true stories. Uh, maybe my memory is getting a little bit different, but uh, my kids always laugh about me. I tell stories so much that they stand in the background and mouth the stories as I tell them, which is very annoying, by the way. But I'm getting even with one of them. She's in the industry now, too, so she's going to be like me, I think, and she's going to have her own list of stories. It's interesting, but I think we're both in this, we are both in this industry because it's exciting and it's different. And it's not one that most people know about. When you tell them that you're a mall manager or that you, know, you work in a mall, uh, they think immediately retail. They think somehow malls just sort of manage themselves. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't work that way. In my 40 years, I've probably managed directly 40-some properties, but uh, as a vice president of a company and other positions that I've held with other companies, there's probably been 200-plus properties. And I will tell you, no two are the same. Dave brought up the fact that there's been about 84% of the sales, even this is the latest information we could find online in 2022, was in brick and mortar. Think how many people that translates to. I mean, it's a trillion dollars in sales. So when you have millions of people, millions and millions and millions of people passing through, there's millions of stories. Uh, the whole purpose of this podcast is not to talk about the bad ones. Uh, the bad ones, unfortunately, we all see on the news. Or uh, there's sometimes there's some chicken little stuff out there about the industry's dying. I think in the 40 years I was in it, at least three times I saw on Time or Newsweek that malls were dead. Uh, they were dead because of... QVC, they were dead because of eBay, they were dead because of online sales, and yet it continues to go on. Not to say that we don't think that things are changing, but uh, there's still something really nice about being able to touch, see, feel, and uh, I know there's a lot of ways for people, I used to joke that I was going to be more worried about a declining birth rate than I was going to be declining sales, because boys still want to see girls, 
girls still want to see boys. Mall was always a place where that where that was there. And we'll have some stories along those lines as well uh, over the co course of this. But if you're here looking for hard news, it's the wrong place. We're here to have fun. We're here to talk about positive things, some maybe not so positive. But this isn't a tell-all, name names, and, and uh, uh, try, to, try to make it better than what it is or worse than what it is. But we're going to try to stay on the light side. Yeah, and I think the, the truth is, is, you know, as you guys come along and hopefully join our journey as Don and I talk with, with others in our industry, but also just with each other about some of the great experiences we've had, there's just some absolute crazy, awesome, and who, who would have known stories that come out of the fact that we have in the mall business the public, we have the tenants, we have contractors, we have the metro stations, we have, we have events. It's just a ton of mixture that all comes into one in this little world within a world within a world. So a city within a city uh, aspect. And I find, I find that the stories are just the relatable because as a shopper or as a developer or as a leasing person or as a manager or as a retail worker, it's, it's awesome. I, in fact, uh, I think the 2018 census said there was 9.8 million retail workers or supervisors and retail frontline workers. That's that's a ton of people that started their first job or started in retail or grew up in retail or and then got through college and went and do something else. There's a, I mean, since all of us had some sort of relation in retail at some point, I mean, heck, one of my first jobs was the Blockbuster Video. I mean, I still remember my, my, uh, my login number and all the sweet movies you could get and the sweet pass. But, you know, that's where I think it touches everybody. But the reality is, is we don't all always share these funny stories that, or hard to believe stories kind of the ripley's believe it or not if you will for for mall for mall business and i think that's going to be a lot of fun and i look forward to talking with you don about it and hopefully talking with many others that have stories that want to share and, and we'll we'll provide some some various uh contact information as we go and we'll have some stuff on, online for for everyone who if they want to reach out and and both make good good complaints and bad complaints but also if they want to join in and share some of those stories because everyone's got one i mean all the time so if there's 9.8 million people out there collecting stories right now, I just hope 1% of them contact us because <laughs> we, this could go on forever. Dave, how did you get in the business? You know, I, I actually grew up in the business. Ironically, my dad started in the mall business when I was three years old, on my birthday of no less. So it was a good birthday celebration. I don't remember it, but I'm sure I got a big wheel back in, the, back in Iowa. But he, he started small mall. Um, as an assistant GM and got in it. And then as I grew up and we kind of moved around the country to get to a different mall and different mall, um, I, I got to shadow him a little bit and go in for like the the holiday decor setups. Or one mall he had, we did a, uh, we put in some bumper cars. The mall owned the bumper cars. So I got to be, as, a, as an eight-year-old i got to be the test dummy you know going with the maintenance guys they're just finishing setting it up tweaking it it's like first run i'm in the i'm in the new bumper cars where it's got the side turn uh joysticks instead of the you know the the classic electrical on the roof or ground it was all ground but it was the side side joysticks and so it's newfound totally awesome and i got to test it and i got to be there the mall was closed after hours so i loved it i thought Hanging out with my dad, totally cool, walking around, doing cool stuff, talking to customers, being in a commercial or two, because that's what we did, uh, was neat. And so when I went to college, I actually ended up doing an internship, found out it was as cool as I thought it was, and as I exited, I got into the business through an assistant GM program, and 
never looked back, going mall to mall, market to market. But that was mine. Mine was quick, but mine was almost kind of growing up. So we used to joke that the company my dad worked for, for 26 years, a moss was there until I got sold out of the company. Because like in all good real estate, it may not be for sale, but it can always be sold. So <laughs> sold myself out of a job. But that's mine. Don, how did you get into the industry? It was a little bit of a different path. Right out of school, I, uh, out of high school, I started working at a bank. I was an interbank correspondence coordinator, which uh, meant I worked in the mailroom. Uh, not the most exciting of starting places on jobs, but uh, eventually I moved into data processing and ended up being there for uh, 10 years. But I realized in data processing that I was locked behind two sets of double locked doors. I dealt with about 20 people, and I'm a people person. I love to tell stories. I love to interact with people. I love to hear their story. So when I had the opportunity to move into the mall business, I took it. How I got started in the mall business, though, is when I worked nights at the bank in data processing, I always had a side job. So one of my side jobs, uh, a friend of mine went to work at a mall over Christmas, and I decided I'd go see if I get a job at the mall, too, over Christmas. So I went into the mall manager's office because I didn't know what else to do. And looking back, I should have been a little bit smarter, but I walked in the mall management office and met the mall manager and asked if uh, she had any jobs. I was looking for a job for Christmas. And she sized me up, and uh, uh, I'm a big guy. I was, I'm bigger now than I was then. But she looked at me, she said, I'm looking for a sleeping Santa. And I said, what's a sleeping Santa? And she had a promotion that was going to go on in the mall for, for a week before Santa arrived, where someone would sleep out in the middle of the mall in a pair of red flannel underwear, and in my case, a fake beard, because I can't grow hair. And I would sleep there for the whole, whole week, and then on Saturday morning, they'd wake me up, and I'd go up, and we'd kick off the Christmas season and uh, Santa photo sales and I forget what the pay was but it sounded like a good gig I needed to sleep during the day anyway and I thought well, I'll just sleep in the mall so on that Monday morning I showed up they had a pair of red flannel underwear and a Santa suit and a fake beard and uh, I donned all that in the mall office walked out into the mall hung up my 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 pants and my my jacket and I think I took my, I think I left my hat on because it was helping hold on the beard. And I laid down in the bed and I tried to sleep in the mall. Slept a little bit, not a lot, because people were coming around. You could hear all the talking, but uh, I did that for the whole week. After the first day, they added a Mrs. Claus uh, because they wanted to make sure I didn't scratch where I wasn't supposed to and that I stayed covered during the whole, the whole uh, 10 or 11 hours I was out there. But I did that for the whole week. And then on Saturday morning, uh, when it came time to wake up, she had said, you'll hear him holler, Santa, wake up, Santa, wake up, Santa, wake up. And the third time, I was supposed to get up, get dressed, and go up on stage, which I did. And there were about 3,000 people in the mall, and I was terrified. Uh, she was afraid I was going to pass out. She said my legs were shaking so bad that she thought for sure I was going to go down. I, I muttered a few words, and I don't even remember what they were now. Well, I'm, but, sure, I'm sure a couple of them were ho, ho, ho. Yeah, but, yeah. probably in there. <laughs> and then uh, I went and sat down in the chair, and we started taking pictures. But that was the start of a love affair with the mall business. Uh, the mall manager was a wonderful person. Uh, after that, she started letting me do uh, side hustles with her while I was still kept my real job in marketing. And there's a bunch of stories there that we'll talk about in a minute. But it started, uh, it made me realize that there were other jobs out there other than banking, and there were jobs out there that I enjoyed more and that uh, really gave you the uh, opportunity to interact with other people. I watched that mall manager and how she worked, and uh, I realized that she basically was the, was the mayor of a small city. And uh, maintenance, security, housekeeping, there was some political stuff going on. I just found all that uh, terribly, terribly exciting and was happy that uh, 
she took a, a, a chance with me and uh, let me get into the industry. She used to joke that she hired me so she could move me away so I wouldn't take her job. But uh, there's no way I would have ever taken her job. She was she was great at it. She was that kind of good. Yeah. But she also had the vision, and you could see that and see the excitement of it, which, which hey, as an intro into the industry and something that gets you hooked, that's that's what you want. That's awesome. I was very trainable. If she told me to do something, uh, she gave me enough. Uh, I, I, if she told me to do something, I just went and did it. Never wondered if I could. If she said to go do it, I just assumed that that meant I had to get it done, and, and uh, it was the start of a long relationship. She also made it so exciting. She did a lot of great promotions when we were there. And, and, you know, there's a disclaimer here. We ought to put it some of these. But Dave and I have talked before, and we've talked about some of the first uh, mall events and promotions back then were different than what they are now. And back then, and I know that this now is so politically incorrect, from, and the SPCA uh, would never allow this now. There'd be protest out there. But back then, we used to have a lot of different animal shows that traveled around the malls. Uh, there'd be petting zoos inside malls. And, and, and there's, some, there's some great petting zoo stories. Yeah. I mean, really great stuff, especially with waxed floors. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And uh, one, of the, one of the first ones that I remember is they brought in Victor the Wrestling Bear. And it is, a, if, you, if you Google it, you'll find it. But uh, this bear had, uh, was uh, muzzled, declawed, and uh, was uh, part of the movie, I think, Paint Your Wagon. And depending which press release they put out it weighed four or six or eight hundred pounds and it was six seven or eight feet tall and i'm pretty sure it also had undefeated it undefeated because that, yeah. that made it even better because i mean undefeated always sells better than lost seven times you right, know, like. right right <laughs> o- only lost seven times out of ten thousand men yeah, yeah but no it, undefeated so uh they we brought in victor the wrestling bear and they needed someone to wrestle victor first and I was just dumb enough to think that sounded like fun. So I was the first person to rec- wrestle the bear at the mall, and it was over in a matter of seconds. And as I'm off in the corner licking my wounds, other people got up and, and wrestled him, but then there was a lull. And so the trainer, realizing that he was dealing with a real uh, mental uh, uh, lightweight there, <laughs> said, let me help you, Don. I'll get the bear down on all fours. You go out there, throw a half Nelson on him, and at least pull him over. It'll be great. It'll, it'll, it'll excite the crowd. And so I'm thinking, oh, yeah, let me back at him. So I got out there, wrapped my arms around the bear's neck, tried to pull him over, and the bear stood up. I'm hanging upside down now, and I'm thinking, he's going to pile drive me into the mat. And my, my roommate at that time was a state trooper. He was in the, in the audience, and I'm hollering for him to shoot the bear because I'm pretty sure I was going to die. He did not shoot the bear. <laughs> the bear did not drag, drag me down. There are some pictures of this uh, now with with all the phones with cameras and that, but there are some Polaroid pictures where it looks in all of those pictures that the bear's winning, but I promise you once they quit taking pictures, I did get them down. No. <laughs> but uh, it, it, was, it was fun. And, and, you know, people would come, if not by the thousands, at least the hundreds, because what, where else did you go for entertainment then? There was no YouTube. There was, you know, the, the, the people came to the mall for a lot of reasons, and one of them was shopping, but we also knew the longer you kept people around, the more people that came, you had the chance to, to create more, more shopping opportunities, and that's what, uh, that's what marketing did back then. Well, and, and you're trying to, to just grow the excitement, keep the community involved, and really be the center of the community. That's, that's the other great part is just in the evolution of malls from the 50s into the 60s, 70s, and into today, 
is you've had this pendulum swinging about developing as a town center, kind of removing the town center from the bus line to the shopping center, and now even further in, into the communities to keep it just really vibrant. And, uh, you know, I, I had a couple malls where I really tried to be the center of activity for anything that was free, you know, like, and so we would drive, like, we, we, had, uh, we had the rodeo come to town. Sure enough, I'm, I'm doing something in the mall related to the rodeo. One was sponsored by Dodge, of all, all things. I'm sure you can figure out which road, rodeo that is. But, you know, we'd, we did one where we had, we had a, a kind of the Patch Adams uh, effort where we had a swimming pool, an above-ground swimming pool put up in a center court or in a court area. We filled it with mashed potatoes with ping-pong balls that had prizes written on them. But white ping-pong balls in a sea of instant mashed potatoes makes for a heavy hunting. You know, you have to get in and, and dive in. And, and so we had people pulling out, you know, front row tickets or chance to meet the bull riders or uh, I think a TV or a, I, and I think one of them maybe had a lease for a year, you know, on the Dodge pickup truck, which I don't even think anyone ever won that one. I think we just washed the, that one away with the mashed potatoes. But, <laughs> but those are the kind of stuff where it was crazy, right? Like we're doing a little bit of radio, a little bit of the excitement of the rodeo. We're getting people to bring into, into the, into the, into the, the action of the mall um, I did one where we uh, there was the Walking with Dinosaurs show that was traveling through, and they're they're obviously selling tickets and doing something big at a big venue that ha- can produce the show. But I got the I got the baby T Rex to show up. I think the costume itself weighed three hundred pounds, so the guy could only hobble around for about fifteen minutes at a time, and he had to go rest for fifteen twenty minutes, and then he could put it back on. But it was the coolest thing to stand at center court and be in front of a baby T Rex, and the baby T Rex is moving around, interacting with the guests, and you know whether I don't know if we had four or five thousand. We probably had three to five hundred people at that in an afternoon on a Friday, and then even more than that on a Saturday. But it was cool because you got to see a dinosaur within the proximity that you could go to the fountain. You know, I can see the fountain and throw a coin, and you got to be that close to this this activity. And I think just the events and the the community creation was was so cool. So well, you know, the the people started to. Uh, look at us differently as an industry when they had those events because where did you do it before you know the malls offered consistent hours which when you were downtown they might close at six they might close at four they might stay open until nine and we got in the mall one of the things that uh, makes uh, mall retail so different from everything else was that there was consistency and so if you were in the mall you were open from 10 till 9 there really wasn't a whole lot of exception there back then there were some blue laws so sometimes you weren't open on sunday but there was there was consistency in it, so you knew that if you needed something, if you ran down there at eight thirty, you were still going to get it. You know, now with online sales and with everything that you can check online, you know it it's different. But there's still that need, and one of the things that that malls have done well over that time is, and I remember when I used to do leasing, when you when you talk to people who were not in a mall location, and you'd find out what their sales were per square foot or what their sales were, and you compared that to what sales were inside the mall. That consistency is what the consumer wanted, so you, you had that. But it was also, it was just so fun. It was still sort of a new industry. When you said that about you were in some of the commercials, I, uh, when I was manager, my first title was manager marketing director, and I got my first mall, we used a lot of line art, and I had a new baby, and I worked her initials into every one of those line arts, so we have a whole book of those. Oh, that's <laughs> those awesome. With, and no, no one else, no one ever looked at I me. Mean, it wasn't so out of place that it, you know, it would have been like, why is that there in the middle of all that? But it was there, so it's a great memory for us. We have uh, hours of, of raw footage where we tried using her in, 
in a, a, a TV commercial with her kindergarten class. And the one child who didn't want to do it, mine. All the rest of them were just loving it. Mine was, mine was off on the side, unhappy, and even preschool. But uh, it, was, it was just a great time. You, you know, we talked a little bit about animals. There's another couple land, uh, great animal stories. We had Skippy the Chimp one time, and uh, he would uh, do a whole uh, stage presentation. We had him set up on a going down a corridor at the mall, so there was a backdrop behind it, so when you were walking up to it, you couldn't see it. Skippy would be forming on front with his, with his uh, handler. And Skippy was having a bad day. The handler was not pleased with Skippy. And so when he was not pleased, he would take Skippy by the hand and he'd squeeze it a little bit. And uh, Skippy then knew that, that meant that he meant business. So there was part of the show where he put Skippy on this little electric, uh, like a children's bike. And Skippy got on it and drove it right off the stage. He was done with show business. He was leaving. And just as he got ready to go off the stage, he jumped. There was a lady walking up the side, unaware of what was going on before her. And the next thing you know, she had a primate hanging onto her, her neck. Holy moly. Uh, yeah, and luckily, things weren't as litigious back then. He, he caused no harm. Uh, well, I, I don't know. The jolt on her heart was probably quite a bit of, quite a bit of harm. But uh, it, was, it was just funny. Some people probably thought it was part of the show. But I assure you that lady didn't think it was part that, of the show. That lady was surprised. And, and I was terrified when I saw that happen. <laughs> there were different times with different events where things went wrong, and you'd think, hmm, I wonder if this will be my last event. Because, uh, you know, when, when people have an opportunity to get something for nothing or to compete for something, it's amazing what, what uh, steps and links people will go to to get something. Yeah, I mean, in, in the future, I look forward to talking about, uh, you know, all the lessons I learned from a 30,000-egg Easter egg hunt. Yes, just <laughs> like that, where... You know, an 18 and older crowd, who boy, I was not prepared for an 18 and older uh, all-out run fest for, for plastic eggs on the ground to try and find one egg among the sea of eggs that had some sort of special trip to Florida, I think. So it's, yeah, there's, yeah, we're going to learn quite a bit. You know, keep it on that animal theme, you know, sometimes the malls, because just the sheer amount of acreage they hold, just get visitors, you know, like... Um, I had a mall that we had a turkey that we'd call Bayshore Bobby because he'd come on property and every day just run around and security named him and, and he would come around and we'd see him every morning, you know, hobbling around, bobbing his head, looking around, doing stuff. And it's just this wild turkey that'd come on out of nowhere. And then eventually Bobby didn't learn how to cross the street and so we, we had a great Thanksgiving dinner. It was fine. <laughs> but, but that was kind of fun. I, I remember um, I was in a mall in an area that had some mountains nearby. And uh, one day, we just got a black bear walking across, looking at all of our trash cans, trying to see, is there anything going on? And the mall's surrounded by, re, you know, residential on two-thirds of it. And it's, you know, there's a bunch of bunch of uh, open shops and stuff. But on the other side of the freeway was open land and open mountains. And black bear just kind of meandered through and having a good morning and saying hi to everybody. And then kind of meandered off about the time we opened, which was Fortuitous. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be a little more terrifying than a chimpanzee on you, but when it goes through. Well, I'd always take a trained one over a, over a wild one for sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, you do attract a lot of animals, and, and I am talking the four-legged and the furry kind, but also some of the two-legged and, and birds. And uh, we've had uh, geese that came back every year. <laughs> you know, the, the tenants and, and the community would embrace them and set food out because they knew where they were going to make their nest. That was just a couple years ago in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and... Uh, we had to put cones up to make it safe, and you know the the funny thing about it is, is where uh, uh, how many people it not only embraced it, 
but look forward to it and and uh you know no one really harass, harassed the geese you know people just they just enjoyed it and thought it was sort of funny that these things were out there in the middle i had a mall in uh in on hilton head one time that had ducks that were in a pond in the middle and they would just like they did with the peabody hotel i think it was they would march the ducks out in the morning and the ducks would swim around in the pond and then at the end of the day they would take them back there were little footprints in the in the uh, concrete for the for the ducks to follow and back oh, that's and cool. it, okay. it was yeah. make a show out of it mm-hmm. for, for for it well and i there's just something you know there's something magical when you have a kid and you're at the pond at the park and you're feeding the you know the the ducks are more fun than the geese let's be honest the geese get kind of mean but uh, but but that there's a, there's some truth to that and even like like yours, yours was in the middle of the parking lot. I remember one. I was an AGM at a mall, and this thing set up in the opening under a parking deck, right next to the department store entrance. And we had to cone off half the entrance and tell people, "Don't go near this landscaping planter because this this geese and the the geese mate were not going to let you come near the babies." Or the, and like, and you'd just walk out like, "Oh, I bought a dress," and I'm walking out. It's like all of a sudden, rah, 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 you know, the the the, the, dog, the things honking after you and chasing you towards your car so we you know for as much of embracing there's also just the tactical advantage the geese could have because they'd hole up in some place that's like oh that's going to change us for the next you know a couple weeks while they they get their young figured out but crazy stuff uh david and i have known ourselves for many years now and the one thing that we have found is that when we're together and we start telling stories this can go on and on and on forever (laughs) and as we're talking about geese and you'll hear about my wife Joyce uh, through this because I wouldn't have made this I couldn't have made this journey alone, and uh, she unfortunately heard the good, the bad, and all the indifferent over time from it. But when we first got married, we got married pretty quickly. And let me let me back up and talk about how I met my wife, and then talk a little bit about the what I was going to talk about with the geese. A friend of mine was getting married, and I was still working at the bank, and he wanted someone to go with him to negotiate price because I love a bargain. And I will try to talk prices down. And so we were going to all these different jewelry stores. We were in a mall. Nice thing about malls back then, if there was a fountain area, there was a jewelry store on each corner because that way they all wanted to be there. They would pay top dollars to be there. So you went from one to the next to the next to the next. So we had walked into, it was a Hellsberg Jewelers, and uh, he found the ring that he wanted. And so they gave him the price. And I started working on trying to get the price down. I was saying clever things like, it's his first marriage. Give him a discount. You know, he'll be back for the next marriage and the next marriage. And, you know, it just it wasn't mean. It was just sort of banter. And the manager came over and asked me if I'd like to work there. Uh, as I said earlier, I always worked a second job. And at that time, I thought, well, this might be fun. So that was on a Saturday. And uh, Monday, I went and took a lie detector test. And Tuesday, I was selling diamonds at the mall. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> lie detector test to prove you can sell diamonds. Well, the, I think the lie detector test was more to make sure that you weren't taking diamonds. Oh, or you yeah. Well, okay, them up. okay that's, but, a good, uh, that's a good safe play. I can see I, I, can I think see they that. actually might have asked me had I stolen anything from where I worked before. And all I could think of is the hundred of pins I had from the bank. And, and they were <laughs> all logo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all hundreds, too, I might add, too. So uh, anyway... About six months later, I'm working on a Saturday, and these three girls walk up. One of them is hoping to get engaged. One is engaged, and the other one um, was just there. And so the one that wanted to get engaged, she's looking at rings, and I picked one out, and she liked it. And the secret to selling jewelry was to get it on the hand. And I tried sliding it on that girl's hand, and it wouldn't fit. 
So I looked over, and the girl with the smallest hands happened to be the girl who was not engaged, wasn't planning on being engaged. So I grabbed her hand, tried to put a ring on her finger, and she pulled back her hand and said, I don't want a ring. I don't want to get married. So I thought, hmm, this would be a good girl to date. And we were married a little over four months later, and that was 42 years ago. That's, so, that's uh, unbelievable because yeah. not wanting to be married and not wanting to date, and there yeah, you go. Yeah. Uh, she was, uh, as she pointed out to me, uh, she was a teacher by trade, elementary and kindergarten focus, and she said she just used the same reverse psychology on me that she did with her students. So that was a little painful, but <laughs> probably true. So, uh, Well, that, that means that she got what she wanted in life, I bet. That, that, <laughs> so, uh, you know, luck, luckily for me, it, uh, it, it's worked out well. And uh, it, uh, it uh, oh, I, I was going to start to say, so on our honeymoon, because when you get married that quick, you don't know the whole family. Heck, I didn't even introduce her to a lot of my friends because I was afraid they'd talk her out of it. So um, we were on our honeymoon. We were up in Illinois. There was a public lagoon, and uh, we took some bread to feed the, the geese and ducks there. And So we got this loaf of bread. We're heading out towards the pond, towards the lagoon, and the geese start coming over towards us. And my wife says, I'm getting back in the car. I don't trust geese. And I said, they would not put killer geese in a public park. <laughs> so I kept walking hey, way uh, forward while she went back. And in about 10 seconds, I had a goose hold of my pants leg just trying to beat me to death, trying to take the bread away from me. So I turned around, start running back towards the car, and I'm looking at my wife in the car, and she has this look like, this is the man who's going to protect me for the rest of my life. And I realized I have to make a bold move. So I turned around, went back to the geese. Now I'm waving my arms. I'm trying to act like I'm boss. And about five seconds later, I threw the whole loaf of bread at him, ran back in the car, and said, those geese are killers. I don't know why they put those out here. And like I said, 42 years ago. So the fact it's lasted is uh, she, she knew that she didn't have uh, a goose killer on her hands there because those geese were, they got the best of me. Well, birds are, birds are some of my favorite. I mean, um, you know, I had a food court, and there's lots of great food court bird stories. I mean, i got to have my dad come tell us at least one because it's going to be good. But uh but I had one where, you know, we had this, this access point in through a restaurant bar, and the birds would fly right through the tines in between of the gate and come in the mall. And, I mean, the prior management tried to figure out, done everything from throwing uh, throwing netting up and flying remote-control helicopters at them to spook them into the net and then take them out. And sure enough, within three or four weeks, they'd all be back after spending a ton of money uh, on getting them out. And so I inherited this food court and the bird, in, you know, the bird group. And we were trying to be humane. We didn't want to do anything that would, you know, hurt the birds, but we were trying to catch them. And so we created, uh, we, we, you know, we, we thought, okay, well, they're sparrows, so they're like this greenery, this seeds, this kind of stuff. So we got garbage can lids and Frisbees, and we put all this wondrous food product out for them around there. And this was, I think we came in on Thanksgiving morning because the mall's closed. Perfect day to go bird catching, you know. Um, no, no one to see it, and so we sent all this food out, and nothing. They wouldn't come within tables of, not even, not even fly over it. It's like I know you see the bird, I know you see the food, I know you, you, you this is stuff you should eat. Well, I just figured out that all the birds in my food court had elevated tastes. They were uh, a panda chicken, you know, panda orange Without chicken a was a favorite. I mean, they were American birds, you know, panda, panda, panda meat, panda orange chicken. They loved McDonald's sesame seed buns and French fries. Those were that was their go-to. And so, sure enough, a couple of days later, we, we didn't have any success on the night on Thanksgiving. So a couple of days later, we had an opportunity in the morning before before hours, and this time we got some sesame seed buns and some other stuff to put out, and we had a little more luck in getting them to close. 
But the crazy thing was is I didn't have any success for a couple weeks. And finally, I uh, I was watching. I was bird watching in my own food court. And I swear, I have the dawn of of the godfathers of sparrows in my food court. Because what I noticed is there was about eight birds. And one was really big and fat. And the other ones were all skin and lithe and, and healthy but not, not obese, you know. And so... But what I noticed is, like, I was watching a piece of chicken on a table, and the bird flies, two birds fly down. One's on the ground, one's on the table. They're both looking at the chicken. None of them eat it. None of them go over and do it. They're just chirping a little bit. All of a sudden, the big one comes down, lands on the table, poof, you know, and it's like, looks around, looks at both birds, is like, cheap, and one <laughs> flies away. And then, you know, cheap, cheap, and two more fly up, and then cheap, they all fly away, and then he eats the chicken. And it's like, I didn't. I didn't even know that I had met the godfather of sparrows in my food court. I just, I was beside myself. I'm like, now I know that I have to catch only one sparrow to get all of them to leave. You know, so, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And it even reminded me a little bit of the 90s uh, cartoons, the Animaniacs. You know, they used to do the pigeons in New York and, and they would tell all these great stories, but they'd always see the godfather pigeon and they make really good fun of the show. But that's what it made me feel like is, is the birds controlled the food court and there was a mastermind behind what their activities were well i tell you what pigeons are the bane of existence in a, in a lot of a lot of malls uh years ago i had a center outside of chicago and we had a terrible pigeon problem and the problem is, is all the droppings and and uh, there used to be a seed that you could put down that would make them hallucinate hmm. and then they banned that but uh, i guess birds didn't like flying high i guess <laughs> as, as the case might be so uh, they banned that. We tried putting up netting. We tried spikes. We tried. There's a product out there called Hotfoot that you spray down, that oh, you yeah. put down, and if the birds step in it, they're not supposed to like it. Uh, we put up owls, which are supposed to scare them away. And after the owls have been there two or three weeks, the you know the birds are trying to mate with the owl. They don't. They they figured out this owl's not a threat, you know. So um, I called the city and I said, "You guys are killing me because I've got all these birds here. You're you know you you you're not allowing me any ways to do it." And they said, have you tried trapping them? So uh, I called a trapper, and the first weekend, the trapper went out there and set these cages on the top. He's charging me a buck a bird to trap them. He got 600 birds. So oh, it was $600. The bird seed was not that expensive. So I thought, well, and I asked him about this. He said he trapped them, and then he released them at, uh, I'm not sure. And, again, I was talking about, I don't want the SPCA calling, but I think they may have gone to a, to a, uh, to a range and the birds may have been I, I i don't know that for fact or that's what he implied but i'm all i know is that the next weekend he came back and he he got another 600 birds and it occurred to me that he could just be taking these birds a half mile down the road to the, the open range to the open <laughs> and they're right back you know so i'm thinking this isn't so i talked to him i said you know this is very expensive so then he started charging me 50 dollars or 50 cents a bird and you know every weekend we kept getting these birds so i called the city again i said you know what are we supposed to do? And he said, well, you know why you have the problem, don't you? And I said, no. I mean, tell me, because this was the worst problem I ever had with birds. So um, he said, uh, we've had some problems in our community where there was a neighborhood dispute, and one of the neighbors has started feeding birds pigeons in his yard, and it has tracked thousands and thousands of pigeons. He said, next time you're in town, come see me, and I'll take you. So the next time I was in town, I went there with him. Go there, we hop in the car, we drive about two blocks away, and there was a neighbor who was, who was uh, planted some grass in his yard. There was no fence in this yard. 
and he had put a little string fence around it and asked people not to cut through his yard, like going to school and that, while the, while the uh, grass grew, gave it a chance. And one neighbor took offense to that. Next day, they put a chain link fence around their property, and they start having bread trucks deliver day-old bread to his house. And Whoa. he started throwing that bread out in the back. And I don't know what kind of telegraph they had or how they got word around, because there was no Twitter back then, <laughs> pun intended. But birds start showing up in the thousands. And it caused problems, because the first thing a, a bird does when it takes off is it adjusts ballast. And so <laughs> houses were being covered with uh, bird ballast. Pools were being filled with uh, bird ballast. So uh, it became just a real problem. So the city was trying to work with them, and they were getting nowhere. It was just a huge, huge fight. So they passed some ordinances where birds could only be fed from feeders. So this guy went in his backyard, put up sheets of plywood, put them on four-foot legs, and made his backyard in a giant, giant bird feeder. Oh, and so he's telling me this story, and I'm thinking, it really can't be that bad, yeah. can it? Who would really do yeah. spend their effort yeah. on this yeah. effort? Yeah. So uh, we get there. We pull in front of the house that originally had put up the temporary fence to let the grass grow. And he said, they're fine if we walk in the yard. So we walk to the side. And I look in the backyard of this other house, and there are thousands of birds there. I mean, he's got plywood almost everywhere. They see us. They open the door. Their dog runs out. All these birds take off. The city official grabbed me and pulled me back under the eaves of the house because all that ballast start falling down in front of us. And he said, they got me the first time. So now I know, <laughs> now I know what to expect. So, uh, but wow. uh, this went on and on. And he actually got the law overturned, the ordinance overturned, because it was specific to one person. And evidently, oh. you can't make laws specific to one person. Uh, luckily, we sold that center. I really don't know how that resolved. But I'll, I will tell you, I felt sorry for those neighbors, and I felt sorry that uh, it was such a problem. But it wasn't just our business. It was others that had trouble with the pigeons. Yeah, that's that sounds like one of the worst pigeon stories I could, I could imagine because that's just that's crazy. You know, it's also interesting, kind of moving away from birds, uh, you know, it's just the variety of, of animals that come in un, uninvited. Um, I had a guy walk in with to shop, and he had his, uh, like, had to have been six-foot boa constrictor draped over his shoulders and he wasn't even dressed in camo or anything he was just walking around like like i'm just out for a stroll on a sunday i had another guy that had uh he tried to come in with uh what i would say is two horses but they were great danes and they were you know just it looked like he was like riding his chariot through the mall it was unbelievable um i even had uh you know what's funny is and we'll have some fun conversations down the road about santas because there are so many great things that we can talk about with santas but I had one where they used to do, you know, and we still do pet photo nights with Santa. But now we are very, very specific in that that pet is a, you know, approved animal by the, by the, you know, for disabilities or dog or cat. That's it. But it used to be just carte blanche. So we'd have ferrets and snakes and birds. But my favorite was, I think... I was, in a, I was in a mall that had, you know, they used to say, uh, market it to Christians, cowboys, and soldiers, and you'd be good. And the cowboy reference works really well because, you know, someone wanted a picture with their pet pony. And all of a sudden, Santa's sitting there staring down the line, <laughs> and there's a pony in, in this thing. And all I'm thinking of is, please, 
I don't have a shovel. Like, you know, so like, you know, on the carpet. We're going, oh, no. You know, i got to wash the Santa suit after this pet night. But, oh, man, I've never thought about this one. You know, and so we're – so I think there's just – it's just, again, city within a city. The love of malls in general is just great because – and I think, I think we'll hopefully share that with everyone as we go. And this being our inaugural kickoff, we're just excited to talk about it. But the – the, the beautiful thing about malls is that there's evolution, there's community interaction, there's just a vibrancy, you know, all of the New York City vibe, right? The city that never sleeps. Malls, in a way, are a city that never sleeps, except for between maybe 2 and 6 a.m., but there's still stories during that time, too, just because we have that activity and we're in that central hub. So I hope everyone joins us uh, and has enjoyed this first round for us. We, um, we're very excited. Uh, we'll we're looking forward to sharing just these fun stories that we've had, and we hope you enjoyed the time with us now. Um, and I would just share, you know, if, if you have a mall, support it, like it, love it, but just be ready for change because out of the 1,400 malls in the United States, there's still 1,400, then there's going to be more changes and evolution as they go. So from my, from my, from Dave, I say thank you for today. Yeah, and guys, thanks for listening. Hopefully some of you will find this amusing. Hopefully some of you will want to contribute to this because we'd love to hear your stories. Uh, we know the ones that we've lived through and the ones that we've heard. But like I said, you don't have hundreds of millions of people pa- passing through retail doors, store doors without stories out there. And we'd love to get some of these stories from you. So hopefully uh, you'll, you'll follow our podcast and there'll be more out there and uh, we'll talk more soon. Thanks for joining the conversation and a Mall Life podcast. We'll catch you next time.